0: The scripture reading for this morning is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it a on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven thank you so much karen in recent years i've noticed a pattern and you might have noticed it as well it goes something like this someone who has really been in the public eye in the spotlight, or someone who has influenced the world in some remarkable way, passes away. So I'm thinking even in, you know, the not-too-distant past of Muhammad Ali, or I'm partial to golf, I, I remember Arnold Palmer passing away, or in the music industry, Michael Jackson, or in other realms, like Judge Scalia or Nelson Mandela, or even recently, right, with Billy Graham, there's a there's a pretty normal pattern that happens after someone that has such a massive influence and a massive platform. Uh, a collection of stories comes out, and memories, and it seems like coverage. Uh, on multiple channels and analysis of their life and, and what they brought to the world. And then there's other activities that begin to happen as well, uh, perhaps a memorial service or a tribute of, of some, some kind. Then, predictably, life moves on, not without remembering them, but it does move on. But could you imagine, could you imagine with me if one of those people that I just mentioned, could you imagine if three days after they died, then the news reports came out that they're not dead anymore. They've actually come out of the grave. They are alive. Can you imagine as famous as those people were? And uh, imagine their platform then. Imagine their potential to influence people and to guide people at that moment. Can you only imagine? I mean, we would be in shock. It's hard to even process what that would mean because it's so foreign to our world. These things don't happen. We say our goodbyes and and it's done. But if we suppose they did, they would have this place of influence and imagine that they just didn't die. They stayed alive and they continue to give their insight into life. I want to make sure we understand this morning, this Easter morning, that it would have been just as shocking for the people in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, for an individual to get up from the dead. It, it would have been just as surprising. It would have caused just as much turmoil and surprise. I, I imagine on that first Easter morning... There was plenty of confusion in Jerusalem. You can imagine as Pilate gets word from the guards, uh, boss, we have a situation here. I mean, it, it would be just as crazy to them to process what had just happened on Good Friday and what was happening that Easter morning. So what What could Jesus do having risen from the dead? What could he have done? What could he have done to influence and guide the world? He could have set up a shrine, right? He could have set up a shrine. Might might I suggest the temple would be a great place. The curtain's torn. He could set up a shrine there. And anybody who ever wanted to come to him could come to him. And he could tell them all about the mysteries of life and how he did what nobody else could do. It's rise from the dead. Or perhaps he could go on a world tour to influence and to change the way this crazy world thinks, the ancient world. Maybe he could have gone down to Alexandria. Maybe he, he could have gone to the major cities of that time. He could have gone to Thessalonica and Corinth and Ephesus. He could have gone to Athens, he could have gone even to Rome itself, the heart of the Roman Empire. He could have gone there. And have this world tour and explain exactly how life should be. Think about the influence he could wield. But Jesus doesn't do that. There is no shrine that he set up. There is no world tour that he goes on. As a matter of fact, he, he shows himself to a few people, but actually not Not tons. He appears to enough people so that we would know forever this wasn't some rehearsed lie. Like everybody kind of getting their story together so that they could just launch this new world religion. Now he appears to enough people and they're they're terrified and amazed and think it's a, like, did this, could this have really happened? I mean, there's enough of that surrounding his resurrection to know this totally took them by surprise. But then what does Jesus do? So he appears to people. Then it tells us that he, he leaves. He ascends to heaven. And he gives a promise that he's coming back, but he leaves. So then the question is, who, when Jesus is gone, who is going to be the presence of God on this earth? Who will be the influence? Who will carry the influence that he carried when he was here? Would it be the the religious leaders or the leaders of Israel at that time? It would certainly not be them. The government and the religious establishment was a mess. It had just actually gone the way of crucifying God's son. They're, They're not in any category to lead and be God's people and God's presence. So who will it be? How will God be present among people? So actually, actually, Jesus had prepared his people for the answer to that very question. Who will be the guiding influence, the presence of Jesus when he leaves? And one of the places he had prepared them is actually a place we heard read by Karen just a few moments ago. We've been looking on Sunday mornings as a church family, we've been looking at What's been called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and probably you're more familiar with the teachings that are in the Sermon on the Mount than, than maybe you even realize. So in the Sermon on the Mount are the, the, we call them the Beatitudes, the blessed sayings. So blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. Yeah, that's the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught and preached. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer, which probably you're familiar at least having heard it said, if not saying it yourself. In the Sermon on the Mount, in this, teaching of Jesus is also the the teaching where he tells us to judge not that we be not judged. In the teaching of the the Sermon on the Mount is the golden rule. And in this teaching is the story about the, the wise man who laid out a foundation for his life by listening to Jesus' words and teachings. This is all in the Sermon on the Mount. But he tells his first followers in this sermon, and even what we just heard read a moment ago, that as far as the presence of Jesus on this world, he said that they would be that. He looks at his disciples and he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We fully expect Jesus to be The light. If you read the Bible, you fully, it's not surprising that Jesus would be looked at as the the light of the world. As a matter of fact, Matthew 4 says that the, the people who were living at that time were dwelling in darkness, but they saw a great light. What was that great light? It was Jesus. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Even John chapter 8, Jesus boldly, boldly says, I am the light of the world. If he's not, that's a very arrogant statement, or he's quite confused. He doesn't seem confused. And he asserts that, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We can see where he would be the influence. He would be the light. But the authority of Jesus then gets transferred to his followers. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but then to his followers, his first followers, and by extension us, he says, you. You are the light of the world. He transfers his authority and he transfers the, the responsibility to light the world to his followers. Those followers that were just like maybe a dozen, a couple dozen. You can you imagine Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the entire world. And they look at each other and, and no, one's, no one's super rich. And if they were, they left it all. And no one is super sophisticated or well-educated. Probably several of his first followers were illiterate. And they are told by Jesus they are the light of the world. As far as we know, none of them are these like, great communicators, these great orators. None of them are these, you know, the, the massive theologians that everybody would pay attention to. What they And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Should the fact that Jesus chose to use ordinary people surprise us? I hope, I hope you're not so familiar with verses like we've read this morning that you don't realize exactly what Jesus is saying. I hope that you have a greater appreciation. I hope that you're encouraged. Because if you are a Christian, Jesus is saying you have a mission, you have a purpose. There is a design for your life. He has envisioned an assignment for you. And make no mistake, Jesus could have done it all himself. He could have remained on this world as the light of the world, but instead he leaves and tells his first followers, now it's you. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. I hope you hear Jesus' words as a challenge. Like, there's not time to play games There are things he designed us to do in this world of his. So can we go back and look at these verses and just point out a couple, maybe of the more obvious things in Matthew chapter 5. One thing you notice as you read, you are the salt of the earth, or you are the light of the world, is you notice the word you, but in English it's hard to distinguish you singular and you plural. So in the original language, this is plural. So in the South, we would say, y'all. Y'all are the, up here, I think it's you guys or something like that, you know, yous. But whatever works for you, okay. Jesus is, is talking to individuals, but he's talking to a group, a, a group of people. He's talking to, like a, a church, he's talking to a, a group of his disciples. And he's saying, you collectively, the way you live your lives together, not just on your own, the way you live together, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And not only does he say this in the plural, he, he's pronouncing this. It's not a, like you should be the light of the world. He doesn't say that, does he? You need to be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say that. He makes a pronouncement and he says, this is what you are. We could overthink these analogies. We could overthink salt and light. Is there some hidden mysterious meaning that if some, everybody and we've got this you know, new revelation that we, I, I think it's much more simple, much more common. I think Jesus was using analogies that actually salt and light are important in every culture. So as we begin to think through, okay, what does it mean? We just took them like one at a time. What does it mean that Jesus says we're the salt of the earth? What well, we recognize is that salt Salt influences through contact. So both these words talk about, like, influence and impact on other people. But this salt influences through contact. Salt can do a lot of things. This is where we could go a lot of different ways with the analogy. It, it flavors, but it also preserves. It seasons, but it also can, can cleanse. There's something about salt that when it goes into something, when it makes contact, it changes things. And Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are going to influence this world through contact with it. You're going to bring the the flavor of Jesus Christ to this world as you make contact with this world. You are going to bring the preserving influence of God himself to this world as you make contact with it. It's like salt influences through contact. It's, It's as if Jesus is telling us there are two things that matter in this analogy with salt. One is that you're present, And one is that you're different. You have to be different to make a difference. But you have to be present. If salt isn't, like, on something or in something... So if I take my salt shaker and I just put it on the table, it influences nothing. It's worthless. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. If it's not in something, if it's not making contact, if it's not present... It, it doesn't make the difference. I, I wonder, I mean, Jesus would have completely understood our tendency to say, well, I, it's so hard to live in the world as, as a real follower of Jesus. It gets hard sometimes. It's, it's, it frankly would be easier at times to withdraw from the world. If we were really trying to stay focused on living for Jesus, it would be easier to withdraw, to not be involved in our cities and our neighborhoods, to give up on relationships. And Jesus knew as a community, he would say, we ought to love one another, we ought to be in this together, but but did he know we would have the tendency maybe to withdraw? And he says, no, 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 you can't withdraw. You are the salt of the earth. You have to be in the earth. You have to be with people. Salt is meant to be different from what it contacts. Otherwise, Jesus says it could lose its saltiness or its savor. If it isn't different, it's good. It's not good for anything. So a What Jesus has said, we have a pronouncement from Jesus, that in being in the salt of this earth, we're present and we're different. I wonder if that's true. I wonder if as people come into contact with us, if they sense something is different, as we're present with them, are we that person that immediately forms a connection with another person where they they know we're listening. They know we enjoy them. We, they know we enjoy life. There are people in my life, I'm sure there are people in your life that you know, if I texted them, they would really care that I had a question for them or that I had something that I needed them to do or that I was thinking that, that would really matter to them. We, we're in this world and we're meant to make contact and to be different. So we show kindness in a world that is absolutely cutthroat where people have no problem like stabbing you in the back if it helps advance them. We're different. We're present and we're different. We show respect and dignity to other people that would be easy to ignore. It's, it's you're in a line and, and that person is just an object to you to ring up your groceries or they, they don't really matter to you. They're just a means to an end. But, but a Christian goes in and they're salt. They're different. They show that they care. They show that they love. They show that they're at least paying attention to another human being. We're different when we count our blessings in a world that seems to only know how to whine and complain. We're different when we listen while the world around us maybe just keeps talking. We're different when we love, even though we know we have the potential to be misunderstood, even be classified as a bigot. We know, but we still love anyway. When we love and know our neighbors, when we could just keep our distance. Jesus had a mission, and he's not just thinking small scale, something like, maybe just kind of hovering around Galilee, Jesus looks at his followers and says, you are the salt of the earth. Go into this world and be present and be different. He gives another analogy. He says, you are the light of the world. And and that's a little bit different, a lot of overlap, but a little bit different in that light can influence even at a distance. Light can influence It's we are the light of the world. We influence, even at a distance. And Jesus says this, right? A city on a hill can't be hidden. And certainly in our days, you can see when you're coming on a major city. But but in that day when there's not streetlights and downtown Main Street kind of lights, he says, you are the light and you will influence. You will influence because you have a message of light, of hope, of gospel. You have a message that brings light that there really is. Hope in Jesus. God really does love the world and the the people of this world and wanted this world to know his love in a personal way. So he sent his son into the world. This is the message we have. A light that is given to the world. Jesus who died for us. Jesus who didn't stay dead but rose in victory and gave us the Holy Spirit to guide and comfort and strengthen us and seal us and one day will come back for us in person. One day we'll take his rightful place as our king and set all the world right. And in that moment we will serve him and enjoy him forever. That message is light. That message can go into a world that is complicated and confused and give help. I would say even today if you're wondering like what is the truth and what is the light? See part of our mission as we understand it from Jesus is that we are to live in this world even if even if you come today knowing very little of Christianity, I, I do want you to hear loud and clear. This is a place where you can, you can ask questions and seek out the answers to those questions and try to understand all of this a little bit better, even if you feel like church has never been your thing. I know many of your stories, and I know you're, you're sitting here among people that they never thought church would be their thing either. And light came to them and changed their lives. We are light. Jesus put us in this world to live a life that shows how true and good and beautiful his message is. We have a ministry of reconciliation bringing together what this world has torn apart. Jesus speaks regularly. It's interesting as you just track his words. He speaks regularly, telling us that the world is in darkness. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded of that, because some people look at this world in maybe the last, I don't know, five years, 20 years, 100 years, and say, ah, it's really gone off the rails. And Jesus always assumed that this world would be a place of darkness. Jesus always assumed this. Jesus always, always recognized that this world would be filled with greed and materialism. Jesus knew this world would be a place of darkness, a a place where there is hatred, where there is pride and superiority, where we put ourselves above other people. Jesus knew this would be a place where there would be such a stubborn streak of selfishness or rebellion against authority. Jesus knew that this would be a world that would be filled with immorality and cover ups. Jesus knew this would be a place of darkness where people would be oppressed, where there would be injustice. This is the world we go into. So Jesus, this doesn't surprise him, but he sent his his first followers and he sent us into this world and he said, you're the light. Reflect that light. So in this world, this dark world that's greedy, you recognize that God supplies all your needs that you have more than you could ever ask for because of what Christ did on the cross and because of that, you can be content. In this world of hatred, you can recognize that you have been loved by God and he loved you With a cross. Because you've been loved. Because you were loved even when you were his enemy. You don't have to be filled with hate. You don't have to be filled with bitterness. In this world filled with just obnoxious pride. Jesus said, you can be the light of the world because you recognize, who am I, that God would turn his attention to me. I can count others more significant than myself. In this world of selfishness, we can know Jesus cared much more about the needs of others than himself. This world of rebellion, we can recognize that Jesus died to give grace to rebels. In this immoral world, we can recognize that we live holy, even as we recognize in our own we'd never live up to anybody's high standards. But we can even confess our sins when we fall. Think about how all this works out. What Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't say, You just go out and try to be a force for good. What Jesus doesn't say, he actually drives the disciples in a way that goes way beyond just like, you go out there and do something that will make you feel good about yourself. What Jesus says is, you go live your life in such a way that others will see you doing good things and they won't They won't even be drawn immediately to just praise you. They'll they'll give glory, because what could explain that but your Father in heaven. And ultimately, in your life, in your good works, we show how glorious our Father truly is. Interesting, as Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. What he doesn't say is you're the light of the world. You can be my light if you meet this certain kind of economic status. You can be the salt of the earth if you're of this ethnicity. You can be the light of the world if you have this marital status. You can be the light of the world if you just have this comprehensive Bible knowledge that's much more than everybody else has. But he just equalizes it all, looks at his disciples, probably some of those that life had just beaten them down, and says, you're the light. He looks at those who follow him, who put their faith in him, Now what he's done in the cross and resurrection and he says you're the light of the world. So amazing thought. It struck me this week as I would speak today. Jesus saw this day and he would say to us today you're the salt and light. You're the salt and light of Newark. You're the salt and light of Bear and Elkton and Wilmington and Landenburg and Newcastle and Middletown. You, my followers, this is who you are. Grandparent, you're the salt and light. Sure, you've got kids who maybe aren't in the best place, and, you aren't yet, and you're concerned about your grandkids, but your home, your home is kind of a place of light, a place where unconditional love is just, that's the way it rolls. You're the light. The teacher, the volunteer that i talked to so many teachers in our congregation, you're you're the light. You're the salt of the earth. When you you care for that kid that everybody else just wants to give up on, when you care for them, you are the salt. You are the light. You're exactly what Jesus put you in this world to be. You're the salt and the light when you're at the the ball field. You you just think you signed your kid up for Little League or, or soccer, and you think that's just kind of something you do as a family, but then you recognize, no, Jesus knew Jesus knew you'd be present and you'd be different. And as we, we fill those places and those parks in our area, we're salt and light. Or, or you're the student and you, you've made a set of choices to work hard and to show kindness in a pretty harsh environment in your school. Or you're the employee that's honest and you don't complain and you don't stab people in the back. Or you're the manager who who is understanding and shows grace to people that even mess up. Often I think of Easter. Often I think of Easter as a celebration, and it really is, and we've done that. It's a celebration because a man was dead and and he's alive. And he's alive forever. And so it's right for us to celebrate, but but this Easter I thought This is not just a service of celebration. But for those that are disciples of Jesus Christ, this is not just celebration. This is a day of commissioning. You've come to a commissioning service. And I'm not the one giving the commission. Jesus has already commissioned you. And in a moment, we will dismiss and we'll go into our world and we will be commissioned. And Jesus would say, You are the salt of the earth. Go into this world and be different. And bring the flavor and the preserving power of God. You are commissioned to do that. And go into this world and be the light of the world. Don't hide, but be filled with good works. And in that, your Father will be glorified. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have every reason to celebrate a risen Jesus. But today we walk out, we're commissioned to be salt and light to be his presence on this earth. Can we ask for the Lord's help to do that and to do that well? Will you join me in prayer? In the next moment or so, maybe you take, uh, take time to, to pray and ask the Lord to help you receive that commission. And then I want to lead us in uh, I, I want to pray for you along those lines. Almighty God, you you run the world. Nothing's out of your control. But Lord, what we need in this moment is faith to believe that you are speaking the truth. We could find every reason why we would not be good candidates to be your light and be the salt of the earth. But in this moment, give us help to believe what you said. Father, I pray that Newark, particularly and Newcastle County, and really spreading out from there, would be filled. Oh Lord, this would be such an awesome thing that it would be filled with the knowledge of You, and that there would be people all over that would be glorifying our Father in heaven. I pray this morning that You You would use us to do that. One day we look forward to when every knee will bow before Jesus, but in this moment. Send us out with your grace to be light and salt. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.